Good morning, Centerway Church. My name is Stephanie, and I'm so happy to be welcoming you this morning as we gather together online. Hello to everyone on our Sunday morning platform, including those in watch parties, and hello to those watching or listening later on. A special welcome to those of you joining us for the very first time. Hopefully, even online, you feel at home here. You're about to hear some information we talk through each week so that you, our guests, and everyone else knows a little bit about what to expect as we gather and how to engage if you're on the online platform. First, if you or someone you know need assistance or prayer, we'd love to help in any way we can. Also, if you have ideas on ways we can serve each other in this unique season, please email us at connect at centerwaychurch.com. We encourage you to check out the resources we have available. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey or what age you are, there's something to keep you moving forward and going deeper. A few I'll point out are the Monday, Wednesday, Friday devotionals, which you can sign up for on the Next Steps page of our website. There are wallpapers to remind you of the weekly application question and a message just for kids. Our Centerway kids get to learn from the same scriptures that you're about to hear, but with kid-friendly content. If you have kids in your home, discussing the application question as a family is a great way to grow and be on mission together. All the resources I just mentioned and more are available on our website. If you'd like to share your info with us, give, take next steps, find previous messages, share this message, or request prayer, you can do so on the live platform or on the website if you're watching or listening later. One last thing to note, we've recently sent emails regarding in-person midweek gatherings, our two-year anniversary celebration, incoming seventh grade students, and a virtual VBS. If you did not receive those emails and would like to, please let us know by emailing us at connect at centerychurch.com or go to the Next Steps page of the website and choose Share Your Info, and we'll get that to you. Now here's what to expect today. Eric will be reading the scripture text for us, Claude will be communicating from the Bible, and then you'll hear some ways to respond in worship. Immediately after the message, you can join us live on Instagram or Facebook as a way to respond through song. Here's Eric with the text for today. Good morning, Centerway Church. My name is Eric. I'll be reading the scripture for today, and it's found in 2 John, verses 7 through 13. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the Antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Good morning and welcome to Centerway. Uh, my name is Claude and my wife Meredith and I are the lead pastors here. So excited that you have the opportunity to join us and be with us this morning, whether you're joining us live uh, or after the fact. Uh, we're continuing in a series uh, called Truth Be Told. Truth Be Told. And uh, it's a journey through 2nd John as well as 3rd John. And this morning, uh, message is entitled, Look Out. Truth Be Told, Look Out. 
and uh, this is Second John uh, chapter se- sorry verses seven through thirteen of obviously the only chapter, which is chapter one you just heard read. Um, when I was uh, growing up, we had a a pool in our backyard, and it was an above ground pool that uh, my father had built a deck up to and then around, and so it kind of looked like it was in ground because of the deck around it. And um, there was a, a time where we had to pull part of the deck off the side out. It's a long story that doesn't really matter. All that really matters is we had to pull these boards out all along the edge of the deck. And so they were all equal length uh, along the edge of the pool. They were all equal length. And the best way to do it was for my dad to get underneath the deck and hit the board up. We had tried other things with a crowbar and it just was not going well. And so what was easiest was for him to hit with a hammer the the deck boards from underneath and then the deck board would pop up and they were held in by deck nails instead of screws. Now we use screws all the time, but they were held they were held in by deck nails, which if you're familiar with it, if you're not familiar, I'll explain, a deck nail is kind of twisted, okay? So it kind of has a spiral to it, and that's so when you sink it in there, it really holds it kind of tight. So um, my dad's going along, and and before we kind of start, he gives me the dad talk, you know? Um, If you have a cautious father, you know what I'm talking about. He's like, listen, son, this is dangerous. Um, I'm hitting these boards up. I want you to keep your fingers away from it. And, you know, the whole thing, like, okay, dad, I got it. I got it. Um, You know, I'm 35. I understand. No, I'm kidding. I was a kid. (laughs) And uh, so I was just a kid, and he's explaining it to me. I'm like, all right. And um, he said, you know, I'll hit it. Once it pops up, then you can go ahead and get the hammer, lock it underneath, and kind of start to pry the board. I'll start the next one. So we're kind of doing this as a team. We're popping these boards up. My dad's going along, going along. And as with everything else, like once you get into a rhythm of something, you just kind of coast, you know, you've heard the phrase like mailing it in or coasting along or whatever the phrase might be. Basically, you understand what you're doing and you're just kind of doing it mindlessly. And so uh, my dad's just going along and he's popping these boards up, going along, going along. And so he kind of loses track of what it is that he has warned me against. And I should warn you now, this is a horrifying story, okay? So if you have a weak stomach, just bear with me for a second because he's hitting these boards up and he starts to slide his hand that is along the the board that they're nailed into. He starts to slide it up to kind of hold onto it because he's kind of getting tired of bending over and hitting it up. And so he does the very thing he warned me against. He puts his hand on the top of the board that he's hitting up against. And so one fall hit, he hits this board, it goes up. And like a springboard, it shoots up, the nail comes out, his hand slips up, and the nail comes right down. I mean, with the full pressure of a four-foot board that's nailed in on the other end, slams down and goes right into his finger. And so he goes, oh, Claude, Claude, come here, come here. I'm like, wait, what's going on? And he's like, I got I got myself, I got myself. I'm like, well, oh my gosh. And so it looks like it's going through his finger into the board. I'm like, is it through your finger? He's like, I don't think so. And so I I use my hammer to kind of pull this board up and he's up in the air with his hand. He's like, oh my gosh, it's really in there. And so (laughs) he hits his hand like this and he hits it again and he's trying to get his hand off of this nail that is going into his finger. And because of the twist of the nail, he has to turn his hand. I know some of you are just squirming right now. I'm so sorry, but I'm just letting you know, 
it was a horrifying experience that could have been avoided if he would have just continued to pay attention. And of course, my dad, in typical teaching fashion, as he's doing this, he pries his hand off and he's like, you see that? I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah, I see it. And he's like, no, look at that, look at it. So he, so there's like kind of meat hanging out and there's this white stuff coming out. He goes, you see that? That's bone marrow. I'm like, oh my gosh. And he's like, that's why you gotta pay attention while you're doing this. I'm like, no, that's why I need to vomit in the yard right now. And so, you know, my dad's just trying to teach me a lesson right there, which I'm grateful for because the lesson is important. Like, if we're not careful, if we don't stay in tune, if we don't stay connected, things can happen. Bad things can happen. Bad things can happen that we know might happen if we don't pay attention. Isn't that interesting? So here's the question I want you to consider as we move into the message and away from this horrible illustration. <laughs> the question is this, why can it be so easy to coast through life? Why can it be so easy to coast through life, to just kind of mail it in, to just go through the motions? Now, taking things as they come is less work and, uh, it's definitely less work than being proactive about things. And so, I mean, obviously, I wanna to submit to you that it's just easy to coast through life. It's easy to coast through life for the simple reason that it's less work. And so, maybe at face value say, why is it so easy to coast through life? Because it's less work to do so. Some people call this approach to life laziness, you know? Well, you're just being lazy. Others will call it being easygoing. Like, I'm just, I'm just easygoing. I'm not lazy. I'm just easygoing. Which is why it's important for you to realize that that's not what I'm talking about this morning. I'm not talking about an approach to life that is laziness or easygoing or, or anything like that. I'm talking about something far more universal far more universal. Even if, if you're uh, a hardworking person that's dedicated uh, to, to, to being proactive and leaning in and, and doing the right work, I'm talking about when we put our guard down. I'm talking about when the normal rhythms of our lives almost kind of lull us to sleep in the monotony of what's expected. I'm talking about the slow creep of your hand up a board you know you shouldn't be on the top of. Not because you aren't working hard, but because at some point you just stop paying attention. Things were just, they're happening the way they're supposed to happen, or maybe the way they're not supposed to happen, but you're just going through the motions of life. As humans, we decide we don't care to look into something deeper. It's like it, whatever it may be, seems to be at the moment rather inconsequential. Like I know what to expect. I do this every day. I do this every moment. I get it. I, I, I'm hitting the boards up. I'm going along. And so it's fine. The way I'm doing it is fine. We're almost, like I mentioned, lulled to sleep. Like all of a sudden you just check your brain at the door and you're going through the motions of your life. Instead of being on the lookout, we coast. We coast. We coast into something more dangerous than we ever imagined. It's kind of a scary thought, right? That you can be doing everything seemingly right and while going through the monotony of what is typical, that all of a sudden 
something becomes far more dangerous than we anticipated. Now listen, coasting is dangerous because you're still moving. You're still moving. If, if you think of coasting in the context of like a boat, like it, it continues to move when you're coasting. If you're coasting in a car or on your bicycle or anything like that, there's still movement involved. The same is true with life. When you're coasting through life, you're still moving through life. You're still moving forward. There's no such thing as, as static. I mean, it's a nice thought, but you can't kind of pause your life. And I know there's probably some of you that uh, feel or wish at certain points that you could just kind of be like, okay, everything stay still. But even in the midst of stillness, we're still moving forward with our lives. You see, the dangerous difference when we're talking about coasting is that you've given up control on direction. Think about that for a second. Coasting means you're still moving. It just means that you've given up control of direction. You're just coasting. Like I said, think of a boat. I was recently fishing with some friends and uh, we decided that what we were going to do was get to a certain part and then we would just kind of coast along and we'd fish the shore. And as you're, we're going along and we're fishing the shore and, uh, you know, just pulling in fish after fish. I mean, they were just, they were huge and, and, and you weren't there. So you don't know that I'm lying about that. But, um, as we're going along, just, just fishing this shore, um, all of a sudden, one of the guys kind of yells out, hey, we're about to, to drift over a stump in the water. It's just below the surface right up here. And so real quick, we go to the boat. We see, sure enough, we're coasting. But as we coast, the current is still taking us. And so I had a trolling motor on the front here that I was kind of in control of. And so real quickly, I dropped the trolling motor in and we redirected. The point is this, when, when we're coasting along, we're still moving forward. We've just given over direction to the current of life. The current of life, the current of this world, the system of this world, or what it, whatever may be vying for our attention is now directing our path because somewhere along the way, we stopped being cautious. We got lulled to sleep. So I want to ask you a question. Where have you decided you're headed with your one and only life? Where have you decided you're headed with your one and only life? Are you, are you coasting? Are you just in cruise control? Or are you being intentional? Are you on the lookout? Now, I know you might be tempted right now to be like, right, I need to get my act together. Like, I, I really wanted to be at a different place right now in life. Or I really wanted that promotion. Or I really wanted to be on that team. Or I wanted to go to that college or whatever. This isn't a pep talk about better living or, or better directional living. I'm talking about things that matter eternally. I'm talking about coasting spiritually. I'm talking about going through the motions of religiosity. I'm talking about being lulled to sleep in the only thing that ultimately matters in eternity because life is short and eternity is long and we can become obsessed with making sure we're living life on purpose and right and accurate and just miss the bigger picture of eternity. Are you coasting on the spiritual things in your life? Because get this, seemingly unimportant things may be directing your life. Seemingly unimportant, inconsequential things may actually be directing and molding your life and ultimately your eternity. 
This is what John is addressing with this morning's text. And he's literally saying, truth be told, look out, look out. Verses seven through eight of chapter one, there's only one chapter, says this, for many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. So he's warning them of people that are against Christ. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist against Christ. Watch yourselves, verse 8, watch yourselves, look out, so that you may not lose what you have worked for, but may win a full reward. John is, is telling us to guard ourselves, to be on the lookout, to watch ourselves, watch yourselves. We need to be on the lookout for good things, positioning to be ultimate things in our lives. Things that are against Christ, things that are of the worldly system that just kind of push, the culture just pushes into like, this is the main thing though. Like this is important, right? Now, I think it's important that we understand the cultural context concerning the original readers here so we can kind of get a better picture of what's taking place. There's some doctrinal confusion that's happening that John is directing kind of directly, uh, addressing directly. I'll explain kind of the tip of an iceberg of something that is far more complex as you can imagine, but it will give us a little bit of an understanding of some of the culture that he's addressing. There was um, Gnosticism emerging at this time. So Gnosticism uh, comes from a, a Greek word. It has the Greek word for knowledge in it. Okay, so this heresy states that one can obtain salvation uh, by mystical knowledge. Okay, that, that the material world is not important. Uh, that even evil, in fact, uh, compared to the spiritual world, that the spiritual world is elevated, is far more mystical and important. Your physical body doesn't even matter. In fact, a Gnostic would not believe that Jesus was human. They're in the heresy. So they did not believe in the incarnation. Now, the incarnation uh, simply means that Jesus was both fully man and fully God. That's Gnosticism in a nutshell, tip of the iceberg. Okay, so there's this church that John is writing a letter to that is being inundated with this idea, this, this heresy of Gnosticism. And so they're questioning some things. Um, then this church is also confronted with uh, Docetism. Okay, now Docetism has a Greek word to appear in it. And this heresy claims that Jesus only appeared to be human. Okay, so he was God and uh, he wasn't human. He just kind of appeared to be. There was another school of thought that actually believed that, that Jesus um, entered a human, that, that, there was, uh, that Jesus was a person and that deity entered Jesus at the moment of his water baptism and that at the cross, deism actually left Jesus. And so John actually addresses that prior where he talks about how Jesus was both of the water and the blood and talks about the importance of seeing him not only as the baptized Jesus, but also the Savior. So there, there's all of these schools of thought, all of these heresies that are kind of pushing in on this early church as it's being developed. And you might be challenged uh, to think, you know, uh, that's not us. Like, we're not dealing with those types of heresies. Like, how does that apply to me in 2020? But in that season, there were arguably even more beliefs causing cultural confusion on this church in particular. And as much as that's a quick snapshot and a couple main ones, 
here's the deal. Some 2,000 years later, Jesus is still a controversial figure. People still have an opinion about Jesus. You, you either believe he was the son of God or you don't. And you have a strong thought or opinion about that. Or you're on the journey of trying to decipher that or how it is that you feel or think about Jesus. And in today's day and age, it's even more prevalent for there to be different types of theologies and beliefs. And I shouldn't say theologies, but different doctrines that are kind of infiltrating our society and our world. So John's words ring true today in a very real way. He knows that Christology is at the heart of Christianity, that ultimately how we view Jesus shapes everything. Listen, if you're wrong on who Jesus was and is, then you're wrong everywhere. Truth be told, look out. Look out. We can't coast on this. We can't just kind of mail it in. We can't go through the motions of, oh, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I mean, I go to this church or I log into this online forum. Like it has to run deeper into informing every area and facet of our lives. I hear a lot of people, you know, in my 20 years of ministry, my 20 years plus of full-time ministry, I hear a lot of people that will say things like, well, you know, I mean, we basically believe the same thing. Really? I mean, they're talking about an entirely different belief structure that doesn't even believe that Jesus was the son of God. And they're like, but yeah, I mean, but we basically believe the same thing. No, no, we don't. And in our society, there's so much like political correctness and concern of like, well, I mean, you know, it seems kind of ridiculous to believe that, you know, we're the only ones that believe the truth and that everyone else is wrong. But if truth is a person, if truth is Jesus Christ, then we're not talking about being condescending or arrogant or thinking we know everything. We're talking about being transformed by the, by the person and the work of Jesus. And so graciously, with love, we speak truth. You see, John gives a warning. He gives a warning about this tension of kind of being lulled to sleep. Verses 10 through 11 is that warning. It says this, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching about Jesus, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Hmm. Now, at face value, this kind of sounds like if you believe in Jesus, you should be a jerk to everyone that doesn't. <laughs> and that is not what scripture is saying here at all. And I would also say that there are a lot of people professing to be Christians that are jerks, that just don't get it, that are, have aligned themselves with a, um, a religion or an identity of being a part of a group, but they haven't been transformed by that work. And so as a result, they misrepresent Jesus. Truth be told, we all have the capacity to misrepresent Jesus, right? Which is why we have to look out. Why we have to look out. So scripture is not saying that we should be 
jerks or rude to people that do not believe in Jesus. Again, we have to look at the culture to understand what it is that John is talking about here. In the Mediterranean world at that time, there was the community and there were strangers. That's it. Clear cut. If you were in this community, you can go back all the way to the generations of the moment in which you entered this community. Everybody knew your father and your mother and your mother's father and your father's father and all of that stuff. And you were born, grew up and died in this community. So there was the community and strangers, people we know and people we don't. Strangers had no standing in law or custom. So if a stranger came in, they had to fend for themselves. They were outsiders in every way very different than our society today. So now if a member of the community were to show hospitality to a stranger, that stranger would become a guest. And by becoming a guest, they would be welcomed in to the community. All right. The way that was predominantly done in the Mediterranean world was people would either identify themselves as a member of your family that at some point had relocated and they would say, listen, I'm so-and-so's son and blah, blah, blah. And then you'd be like, oh my gosh, you're my third cousin. Come right in. Okay. Now you're part of this community. Uh, or they would come bearing a letter. That letter would vouch for them and it would kind of let you know, I come from someone you love and trust and read this letter and welcome me in as part of your community. It's part of the reason why we see uh, the Apostle Paul thanking people for taking him in, why in a lot of his epistles he's charging uh, churches, communities, to welcome people that he's sending to them. All right. So it's very much that culture um, that there is the community and there are strangers. Now, if you took someone in as a guest in that culture, it means you're vouching for them at that moment. In a very real way, you'd be endorsing them. So what you're saying is this person can be trusted by this community. This person is a person that is one of us. All right. So John is saying, be cautious of who or what you're endorsing. You're endorsing because you will be held accountable. It's a warning that we all need to heed. Not the idea of community and strangers, but the idea of what is it that you're endorsing? Because if you're just kind of going through life and you're coasting and you've kind of checked your brain at the door and you're just going through the motions, you'll choose certain things to endorse maybe without realizing the danger of it. Our coasting will cause us to allow lesser things to be the center of our lives. Let's put it all together because the reality is no one wakes up one day and says, you know what, what would be really awesome is if I allowed something other than God to be the center and ruler of my life. It's a slow coast, a drift. So if we put it together, we certainly have to be cautious of who we endorse to others in person or on our social media, right? That happens a lot. You know, like, oh, that's such a good word. And we just put it up there or, hey, everybody needs to hear this truth. And we put it out there and be like, tell out, tell all your friends to watch this, listen to this. And like, wow, it's amazing how in this season, as sad or as expected, maybe as it could be, there's a lot of people just unfriending people in social media because they're sick of what their friends are endorsing. They're just kind of mindlessly endorsing. And some are not so mindlessly endorsing. But John is saying, Scripture's telling us, 
be cautious of who and what you endorse because it represents you. And if it represents you and you proclaim to be a Christ follower, then it represents or misrepresents Jesus. It's more serious than we realize. Christ follower, who are you endorsing? What are you endorsing? Are you endorsing materialism by the way you live your life? Are you communicating to people that you're a Christ follower, that you love Jesus, and yet everything about your life reeks of materialism? Are you allowing political stance to be the center of your life? Are are you saying, listen, I love Jesus, but I love this political bent more. This is the main center of my life. This is the thing that I identify with. Are you endorsing something that's not godly? That, that, That has everything to do with this world, but very little to do with eternity? Are you focusing on and settling for lesser things? Are you endorsing a preference? A preference. And, and, and as a result, you're putting distance between the very people that you're supposed to be reaching if you proclaim to be a Christ follower. Are you endorsing your own comfort? What is it that you're allowing to be the center of your life? Listen, we all have something. So if you're sitting there being like, mm-hmm, I know. Preach it. Preach it, Claude. Preach it. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad somebody's finally saying it because this person and this person and this person, they are terrible. Look at yourself. Because you're a human. None of us are excluded from this. All of us are endorsing something or someone. We all have the capacity to coast. John is challenging us to evaluate who or what we endorse. What is it that we put at the center of our lives? What are we worshiping? What are we worshiping? What are we leveraging our time, our talent, our treasure towards? Think about it. Think about the amount of time and energy you spend into into whatever thing you're endorsing. Might be a good thing. Might be a good thing. Doesn't mean it's supposed to be an ultimate thing, right? That's the definition of idolatry. Idolatry is often a slow coast, where, where something just continues to gain momentum and we continue to leverage our time and our talent and our treasure before all of a sudden our life is consumed by this thing that we endorse at every turn that we unapologetically uh, talk about and, and challenge others about. And, and meanwhile, the eternal thing, the most important thing, and just kind of coasting there, we allow a lesser thing to be our God. I'm saying we and our, because John's words ring true today as much as they did then. There are deceivers, people against Christ, and we're going through the motions of our life and we're being lulled to sleep by lesser things. This is a warning against heresy, which will ultimately lead to idolatry. Truth be told, we need to look out. You need to look out. Are you evaluating that? Imagine, imagine if everybody that proclaimed to be Christ followers actually evaluated and and considered who and what they were endorsing. 
continually prayed about, God, how is it that I'm representing or misrepresenting you? That we truly wanted to be the hands and feet of the Jesus we proclaim. Because here's the deal. He lived a life that we could not live. The perfect, sinless life. And he died the death that you and I deserve. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of of us knowing him, of us pursuing him. And I want to challenge you. Do you know him? Are you running towards him? Or have you allowed something lesser to become the center monopolizing thing of your time, of, of your mind, your thoughts, everything? Like, for what? Could you just... Just look out. Wake up. Don't be lulled to sleep by the motions. We say every week that the text requires something of us. And I want to ask you this question to consider. What idol, what lesser thing, what idol have I allowed in my life that needs to be removed? Think about that this week. Talk to a loved one. Talk to your parents. Pray about it. Think about it. What idol have I allowed in my life that needs to be removed? It might be a good thing that has become an ultimate thing. So maybe removal looks like removal from the center of our lives back to the portion it belongs in our life. Sometimes something that should be a part of our life, we push in, whether it's through coasting or intent or whatever it might look like, and all of a sudden something that was supposed to be part of our life has become the center of our lives. What do we need to remove as an idol and say, get back in the proper place in my life? Now, for you this morning, it might mean that you're in the center of your life that you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. And so this morning, maybe your application, your response to this question is, the idol I've allowed is me. I am the center of my own life. It's my will. It's my way. It's all about me. And for you this morning, maybe removing that idol looks like asking Jesus to come and be the Lord and leader of your life. Regardless of where you find yourself while you're listening to this, it's, it's as easy as praying a simple prayer. Just acknowledging the fact that you've placed yourself in the center of your life and praying, Father, would you forgive me of my sins? Would you come and be the Lord and leader of my life? It can be that simple. In fact, if you're joining us live and you've prayed that prayer or you'd like more direction on what next steps there can be, I want to encourage you to click on the request prayer link right on there and you'll go into a private chat with one of our hosts and uh, they can walk you through further steps. If you're listening to this later, please email us, check out our website, look at the next steps page and allow us to come alongside you in this season. We want to make sure that it's not just an emotional or a momentary decision, but it's the beginning of a relationship. For others of you this morning, if you've already crossed that line of salvation, if you're in relationship with Jesus, I want to challenge you to really look out, to take a hard look at your life. We don't like this. Like, we don't like it because it's more work. Like, it's more work to be proactive, to look and evaluate what it is you've allowed to take a wrong place in your life. But I want to encourage you. Have you put the idol of preference in the center of your life and it's just about what you prefer? It's about what, if you're, if you're super, uh, you know, um, kind, then it's, 
it's not my preference, but it's my family's preference, you know? So it's, it's not about me, but I'm, I'm a good parent or I'm a, I'm a good kid. And so it's about my family preference, you know, has that become the idol? Has comfort become the idol? There's a lot of escapism going on in our society right now. Like everybody just wants to, to get away. It's like they're fatigued with everything that's been happening in the world or they're concerned and man, I just, I just want some comfort. I want some comfort. Like Jesus, maybe we're being called to lay our preferences and our comfort aside and pursue something more important. Lean in to what it looks like to be an influencer in every sphere of life. So what is the thing? Is it materialism? Is it whatever it might be? It's for you to consider. But how do you remove that? How do you allow the Spirit to speak to you? And and I believe that the Spirit of God is speaking to you right now. You know the thing, you know, that you need to talk about. Say, okay, how does this get its appropriate place in our life once again? For others of you that maybe daily do that in your quiet time and say, listen, I'm, I'm a Christ follower and I daily evaluate. I daily consider what it looks like for, for drift and, and coasting in my life. To you, I want to challenge you. What does it look like to be missional? To, to, if you're already evaluating all that, what does it look like to say, I'm going to take on the responsibility of being a person that speaks the truth in love. I'm, I'm equipped to talk to others in the midst of this season, and I want to come alongside them. Regardless of who you are in your spiritual journey, the text requires something of all of us. And so what are you going to do with it? If you're just listening to the message and end of story, then you're coasting, right? You're just going through the motions of sitting through a service, a gathering. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to take action. Take action on that application question. What idol have I allowed in my life that needs to be removed? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we declare ourselves available. Pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us that you would speak to the corner of our lives that maybe we're trying to hide even from ourselves because it's just, it's maybe more work or maybe we just don't want to come to grips with what we've allowed to be the center, most important thing in our lives. Or maybe we've put too much money and too much time and too much effort into it. And the idea of undoing that just seems exhausting. But Father, I pray that you would give us a vision to, to take things that are good and to leverage them towards eternity, that we would be people on mission, that we would go into those places or into those relationships that we've put in the center and that we'd put them in the proper place and we would missionally live in the area of sports, in the area of work, in, in whatever area you place us in, that we would be gospel-centered influencers in every sphere of life. Father, we declare ourselves available. We pray you do a work. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. We continue the series next week. You're not going to want to miss it. Uh, Hope to see you, um, see you there. Uh, We have some really exciting things uh, coming up and continuing with Centerway. And so just uh, keep an ear out. If you're not in our email list, really take advantage of that, as has been mentioned already. Um, Stick around as you hear a little more. Hey, Centerway. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. We'd like to take this time to remind you that there are many ways to respond to the scripture text and many ways to worship this week. One of the ways we can worship corporately is through singing, which we're about to do if you're with us live. If you're watching or listening to the message later, you can find the songs we're about to sing on Spotify. Just search Centerway Church and look for our Truth Be Told playlist. 
For those gathered on the live platform, we'll see you live on Facebook or Instagram in just a few minutes.